All right, very good. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus and to you and I, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of these words. May you bond our marriages today, and may you be glorified through them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is Mother's Day, and so we are in the midst of a study of Ephesians, and so I thought it would be reasonable to look at Ephesians chapter 5 today and on Father's Day, because it beautifully describes the kind of relationship that God calls us to have between ourselves and our spouses. Since today is Mother's Day, I thought we would look at the husband's responsibility to the wife. And next month on Father's Day, we're going to look at the wife's responsibility to the husband. Now, after the early service, I immediately had a wife come up to me and say, I'm not going to be here on that day. <laughs> so I'll leave that between you and your God. But, uh, but we'll do that then. So this, mor- this morning's message is entitled, How to Love Mom. How to Love Mom. Now, many of you have probably seen this picture before. That's when I was young. Dad is holding me. Mom is holding my little sister, who's right over there, Lori. And uh, we're the two cutest ones, certainly. The one to the right of Mom is Drew, the oldest. He is also here, uh, along with his wife, Shay. It's good to have them here. By the way, my aunt and uncle are here this morning also. Uh, uh, Dr. Charles Tandy and Rowena. And uh, uh, bless his heart. Uh, can I tell him how old you are, Charles? How old are you? Yeah, he's 91, 92, 92 years old. So they are faithful, faithful members of First Baptist Church Dallas and have been for many, many decades and have served faithfully there. And, and Charles uh, is a physician, uh, was on staff for many decades at Methodist Hospital in Dallas. And so we're honored that you're here today. And also their son, not to forgetting, my cousin Glenn is here also. Glenn, I'm glad that you're here. He was the driver. So <laughs> that's right. So um, uh, I can tell you, by the way, as a disclaimer, that nothing in Ephesians chapter 5 is in line with how the world views relationships in marriage. But the world did not invent marriage, God did. And he alone knows how that union is supposed to work. God is love, so he knows how love works. In the glove box of my car, there is an owner's manual. It is printed and produced by General Motors because they're the ones who made my car. It doesn't make much sense to read a manual uh, for a car that was written by Betty Crocker because she didn't make my car. I guarantee you, this world doesn't know a thing about marriage or love. In fact, they'll give you a perfect example of what not to do in marriage and what love is not. 
Poet Samuel Daniel, a contemporary of Shakespeare, said it this way. He said, love is a sickness full of woes, all remedies refusing. Love is the universal topic of writers, of poets, and of singers. More love songs have been written uh, than, than you could even count. Man acts like he has a working knowledge of the concept of love, but true love is not in the domain of man and never was. Love is God's business. He is its author. He made love. He is love. So listen to him. And with that, the first thing I want to share with you this morning, right out of Ephesians chapter 5, is a loving husband thinks of his wife first. Men, think of your wives first. Now, it's not my goal to beat you up, guys. Uh, I'm not your daddy. I'm not your mom. Uh, but I do want to share with you as much as I can what, what God says will work in your marriage. And so a loving husband thinks of his wife first. I hope and pray that you're a loving husband. But look in our passage for today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I'll read the first few verses. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through, his, or through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now here we see a wonderful description of the heart of any relationship, but especially marriage, and how specifically husbands should care for their wives. Now the first part is self-evident. If you look in the verse, it says, husbands, love your wives. I love the directness of the Bible, it's not ambiguous or vague. It gets right to the point. Husbands, love your wives. It is a command from God. Husbands, love your wives. Not an option. It is a command. Not from your wife. Not even from me. It's a command from God. Men, do you love your wives? Just in case you don't know what that means, Paul immediately gives us an example, a comparison, so that you and I can know what love is in this passage. He says it this way, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we're to love our wives in the very same way that Jesus loved the church. He loved the church, we love our wives. How did Jesus love the church? He tells us he gave himself up for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. And so your love, husband, should be sacrificial. You should be thinking about your wife in every decision that you make. Sacrificial love is the only form of true love. <clears throat> Not of self-focused love that we see in our world today, which is the reason for so many failed marriages Men, your love for your wife should be for her and not for you. If you ever hear, and I, this is very common, this philosophy, that when you get married, it's a 50-50 deal. I'll do my part and you do your part. I'll do 50 and you do 50 and together. Don't, don't be thinking in those terms. There's no percentages here. It just says, husbands, love your wife. Be willing to sacrifice yourself for her. Think of her before you think of anything else. Don't be selfish in your motives. Don't be selfish in your love. A lot of times men will marry our wife and we'll say it's for her, but it's really for our benefit because we think of all the benefits of being a husband. And you can't have a selfish love. You need to think of her. I read all about a love letter a guy wrote to his fiancée after breaking up with her. He felt terrible. He wrote this, Dear, Dearest Marie, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. 
Please say that you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Jimmy. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) Is your love sacrificial or selfish? Husbands, do you sacrifice for for your wife? Do you think of your wife first? One would hope that we get better at that over time. You know, I was selfish in the beginning, but I've become more and more selfless over the years. And some of you have done that, no doubt, and I commend you. But very often, it's just the opposite. Do you remember when you and your wife first met and you first dated? You couldn't say enough nice things about her and to her. Do you do that still at the same rate? You couldn't do enough nice things for her. Do you still do enough nice things for her today, that often and that frequently? You bought her gifts constantly. Do you buy her gifts constantly now? Or is the bulk of your gift giving one carnation on Mother's Day that you got at church? (laughs) Think of your wife, sacrifice for her, love her. Um, Several years ago, in the Saturday Evening Post, they published an article entitled The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. Now, I've probably shared this with you before, but it revealed the reaction of a husband to his wife's colds during the first seven years of marriage. It went something like this. The first year, sugar dumpling, I really, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things with all this strep throat going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll be bringing your meals in from Rosini's. I've already got it all arranged with the food superintendent. The second year, listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called Doc Miller and asked him to rush right over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for dad. The third year, maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something to eat. Have we got any canned soup? The fourth year, now look, dear. Be sensible. After you've fed the kids and washed the dishes and finished the floor, you better lie down. The fifth year, why don't you take a couple of aspirin? The sixth year, I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around all evening barking like a seal. (laughs) The seventh year, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? So husbands, love your wives. And that sacrificial nature, that Selfless nature should be getting better and better and better every year. Increase the loving statements. Increase the gifts. Increase the compassion on your wife. Love your wife. The author of a popular book on marriage wrote this. It's a wise groom who has to be dragged to the altar. He knows what love is. That is, the wise groom knows what love is. It is death. If lovers don't do this, they are headed for trouble. Never will you have your way again. You can't be happy if this other person isn't. No matter who wins the argument, you lose. Always. The sooner you learn this, the better off you will be. Love is an exercise in frustration. You leave the window up when you want it down. You watch somebody else's favorite TV program. You kiss when you have a headache. You turn the music down when you like it loud. You learn to be patient without sighing or sulking. Love's doing things for the other person. In marriage, two become one. 
But the one isn't you. (laughs) It's the other person. You love this person more than you love yourself. This means that you love this person as she or he is. And that's hard to do. I like the statement. I'm not sure I agree with all of it, but I can tell you this. The Bible tells us the two shall become one. God tells you that. There is something fundamentally different about your identity. Obviously, you're still two people. But there is a oneness about you that is unique to any other relationship you are to ever have. You're one. And you need to behave and think in that matter. Husbands, sacrifice for your wife. Secondly, a loving husband leads his wife toward God. A loving husband leads his wife toward God. If you look at our passage for today in Ephesians 5, in verse 26, it's the first one that's in yellow there. It says, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now you may be thinking, what on earth is he talking about? Are we supposed to wash our wives? The husband has a responsibility to help his wife develop spiritually. Husbands, if your wife has not developed into the godly woman you want her to be, you might look closely at how you've been leading her toward or away from God. The question is this. Is your wife a better Christian or a worse Christian because she married you? Is your wife a better Christian or a worse Christian because she married you? And so if you're thinking, what on earth does this passage mean? Cleansing her, washing her, presenting her. Well, he's speaking about a very ancient ritual that was done way back in the book of Exodus chapter 38. And when we did our study, I've done our study through the Old Testament. Right now we're in the book of Numbers. We looked at chapter 38 and it is, is concerning the basin, the bronze basin in the tabernacle. Remember, God through uh, to Moses is describing all of these, these instruments that he wants there in the tabernacle, which would later become the temple. And one of those instruments is the bronze basin. And the bronze basin was used for cleansing. In Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, it says, They made the bronze basin basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, just a couple things real real quick here. First of all, did you know that there were women that served at the tent or at the tabernacle? There, There are women that had ministries. So anybody that comes and tells you that Christianity is bigoted, that only men can do anything in the church, here are women that are serving. Now, they served in particular manner, but they were serving right at the entrance of the tabernacle. The second thing is they took something that was made for vanity, mirrors, and they used it for something for the glory of God. They made it into this bronze basin. And so I think that's interesting. This word basin or laver is Latin. It means to wash and it represents cleansing. Cleansing prepares us to be presented to God. It is essential for worship. So men... You are to live in a way that prepares yourself and your wife to come before God. This morning and every Sunday morning when you come to church with your wife, if you're arguing with her and having conflict with her and it is unresolved conflict and then you come into God's house, there is conflict between you. 
And it will affect your worship and your wife's ability to worship because she's only human. So he says, men, take responsibility. Take leadership in your home. You make sure that when it comes to worship, when it comes to prayer, and it comes to time with God, that your wife is as spiritually ready as you can help her to be. Now, wives, it's not entirely his responsibility, but it does fall on him, men, to prepare your, worship, your wife for worship. And so that's the purpose of cleansing. The purpose of the basin was to get it ready, to get them ready for worship. Cleansing was a big part of that. It's a big part of that now. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. To wash your sins and my sins away. And so when we come into worship on Sunday morning and we just had an argument, or you're still having an argument, and then you hear the, the Bible when it says forgive one another, love one another, well, it just gets real awkward. I don't know, maybe it's awkward right now for you. <laughs> but when you come into God's house, be sure spiritually you're ready. So husbands, if it's ever going to be a time where you're super nice and you're super patient and super loving with your wife, make sure it's before you come to worship. Help her in her relationship with God. And by the way, on that, your wife is not expected to be the spiritual leader of your home. You are. Now, wives, if you're doing that, God bless you. But you should not have to be, you should be an example, but you should not have to be the spiritual leader of the home. Husbands, that's our responsibility. How often does your wife see you praying? How often do you pray with your wife or with your family? How often do you plead with your family to come to church or does your wife have to drag you here? You step up to the plate and be the spiritual leader of your home. Dr. Robert Travis, co-director of marital health, uh, health studies at the University of Alabama, lists the most common complaints of husbands and wives. Now for the wives, they say, he doesn't listen to me. He takes me for granted. He's not romantic. He doesn't help much with the children. Husbands typically say, she doesn't understand that I need time by myself. She nags about little things. She expects too much emotionally. She complains that I spend too much time at work. Those are the main complaints from both. So today, I want to give you husbands. Now on Father's Day, I'll talk to the wives. But today, I want to give you husbands some helpful suggestions on how you can be better husbands. If you're sitting there thinking, Pastor, I wish I knew what to do. Well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Get out your pen. Start writing. Number one, be more involved. That's not rocket science. Be more involved with your wife. Be more involved with your family. That is one of the complaints. And a typical complaint, that's what you saw in that comical little video a while ago. The, the husband is not around as much as they should. A Focus on the Family newsletter once received the following testimony from a mother. In January of 1992... At 1 a.m., one very tired mom heard a cough, she says. I bolted from my sleep to a standing running position and in one leap made it to the bathroom and flipped on the light to find my six-year-old daughter sitting on the edge of the tub. The stuff from her tummy was all over the floor, the lid of the toilet, and all over herself. I proceeded to clean the floor and surrounding areas, and then I placed Sarah into the tub to wash down. And as I turned on the shower, Sarah said, Mom with a wrinkled nose and a hesitant voice. I threw up on Colette too. Colette is her nine-year-old sister who happens to share the bed. So I closed the curtain and ran to see. I met Colette in the hallway and she said, Sarah had thrown up on her. 
I turned on the bedroom light and much to my amazement, there was the dreaded side of Sarah's dinner on five blankets, two pillows, two sheets, and a baby blanket and Colette's pajamas. I bundled it all up in, uh, into the bottom sheet and placed it at the back door. Now some of you are having flashbacks. I put fresh bedding on the bed and placed a bucket beside Sarah. Then I crawled back into my own bed finally, at which time my well-covered, half-asleep husband inquired, what's wrong? <laughs> Have you ever done that, man? Oh, she'll take care of it. <laughs> men, I am one of you. Uh, if you have noticed, I am one of you. It is so easy for us to get into the habit of letting our wives do so much of the work and responsibilities at home. Be more involved. Now, you don't have to do everything, but I think if your wife would hear, some of them would say, just do something. <laughs> Help some at home. Number two, be patient. Don't rush things. I put this in there as a confession. Be patient. Don't rush things. Love her as you love your own body. That's what Paul says in that passage. And it takes time to take care of your body. The truth is, I'm assuming men, most of you had a bath today. You combed your hair. You, you took a bath. You, you groomed yourself. You dressed yourself. But you also probably ate something this morning, you eat something every day. We spend a lot of time focused on the upkeep and care of our body. And so Paul, knowing that, says, you need to take care of your wife just like you take care of you. Take care of her like you take care of you. And it takes time to take care of you. And you should spend more time waiting and being patient to take care of your wife. To this day, my wonderful wife takes 15 minutes to get out of the car. Two weeks ago, my family and I went to a restaurant in Fort Worth. Me and the kids, we just hopped right out of the car because that's what you do, in my understanding. In the parking spot, you turn off the engine, you get out of the car. So we got out of the car. We walked all the way across the parking lot to the, to the restaurant, and we're standing at the glass door of the restaurant, and I turn around, and I look, and, and Cherry is not anywhere to be found. And I look, and I see her. She's still in the car. And I said to the kids, she's still in the car. <laughs> and I think they said something like, what's she doing in there? And I said, I don't know. I still don't know, by the way, but I don't need to know. I need to be patient and wait on my wife. Men, if you'll learn to be a little more patient with your wife, it can really, really, really help your marriage. Number three, compliment her often. Compliment her often. And when I say compliment her, I don't mean some cheesy, not sincere statement just so you can have something. You know, you want something so you're nice to her and she's on to you. She immediately says, what do you want? Because she knows you. That's not the kind of compliment I'm talking about. I'm talking about, by the way, if you compliment your wife so rarely that when you do compliment her, she's suspicious, then you don't compliment her enough, okay? <laughs> compliment her often. She does far more than you realize. Give her compliments. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. I love this verse. It says this, pleasant words are honeycomb. I <laughs> love that. Pleasant words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And so compliment your wife. Give her pleasant words. She needs encouragement. Encouraging words are powerful. Number four, pray for her. Pray for her passionately. A husband, listen to this, 
A husband who never prays for his wife does not love his wife. Husbands, if you never pray for your wife, you don't love her. A loving husband will pray for her passionately, regularly pray for your wife. Number five, do little things. Now, in the complaints well ago of that study, of that university study, I noticed one of the complaints from the wives says he doesn't do enough of the little things. Do little things. Uh, uh, actually, the complaint was from the husband that said, uh, something to the effect of uh, every little thing he mentioned that the husbands mentioned that do little things they may not be important to you but they're important to her and do little things without expecting anything in return have you ever given her a foot rub or a back rub and then said okay my turn and then got mad when your turn didn't happen number six love her all the time love her all the time not just some of the time but all the time. Now, I've got to think that the worst husband here, and don't raise your hand, <laughs> but the, I got to think that the worst husband here loves his wife some of the time. I mean, you got her down the aisle. You must have said something or done something right. But the challenge is to love her all of the time. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't love the church some of the time. Can you imagine when he was walking around with his disciples and one day he just comes up and says, I'm not in the mood today, guys. Get lost. <laughs> take off. Take a hike. He probably wanted to say that sometimes. But Jesus was loving all the time. And that's the goal. That's the comparison. As Christ loves the church, husbands love your wives. Love on that level. That's loving all the time. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven, that famous chapter on love describes love as this. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. The key word in that verse is what? Always. Wouldn't it amazing, be amazing if it said sometimes or occasionally or seldom? It wouldn't be love. Love always. Number seven, pick your disagreements carefully. Pick your disagreements carefully. You don't always have to get the upper, upper hand on everything. My wife is from the Philippines, which is literally as far as you can get from here. It's on the other side of the planet. And I know there's a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And uh, that's kind of like where we are. My wife grew up in a completely different culture. In a Filipino culture, I grew up in an American Texan culture. And they're very different. And so a lot of the likes she has, I don't like and vice versa, which is why we like to go to the buffet. <laughs> we, go to, we went to the Chinese buffet. I, I, I do all these food jokes. I'm really hungry. <laughs> we went to the Chinese buffet uh, just, I think, last week, four or five days ago. We were coming back through Lake Worth, and there's a buffet there. And I love that buffet because they have all of this fried stuff. Um, you can get, I mean, fried chicken and fried this and fried that and roast beef. And they have hot rolls. They have fried rolls with sugar on it. They don't have that in China, by the way. I've been to China. I've been to Hong Kong many times. And I don't know where they're getting the idea that that's Chinese food. But I don't care. I don't ask because that's the food I like. And they have this little fried things that have the cream cheese in the middle. Oh, those are so good. And so I put my plate down. Now, see, I'm really getting excited. 
I put my plate down and there's all this brown fried. It's just brown. The whole thing is just fried. And then she brings her plate over and it's all green. You know, it's, it's what I call bunny rabbit food. Um, and so we're, we're just very, very different. But we have to accept the fact that I'm not her and she's not me. We are who we are and from the worlds that we are. God made us that way. He made you who you are and where you are. And so accept that. If you're having disagreements, if you're just too far apart, remember this important point, men. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. <laughs> That's pretty good theology. And then lastly, number eight, don't quit. Don't quit. Marriage is not always easy. You don't need me to tell you that. But remember, you, you committed to be all in in during your vows. You didn't say to love, honor, and cherish for the next three years or the next six months till death do us part. You made your vows to stick with it as much as you can, as best you can, as long as it depends upon you. Don't quit. Here is a picture of my mom and dad when they were first married. This is 1957. And uh, Charles and Rowena, they all probably remember them uh, when they were young like that, before they had any kids. See, they look so happy. There they are holding hands. And this, this is their brand new house, the house I grew up in, brand new couch. That couch would be uh, all the rage right now, by the way. And uh, they always, mom and dad always, I know I've told you this, mom and dad just loved each other. Always they've loved each other. They were married forever. And I'm so thankful. I, I could, if they were here today, and they're both in heaven, if they were here today, they would probably share with you they didn't always get along. They didn't always agree. There were tough times, probably tough things that I don't even know about as their son. They didn't, they didn't argue around us. They were careful not to do that. But I have to know because they, are mar they were married that there were disagreements, but they stuck through it and God blessed them. I have heard from so many testimonies over the years from people who came to the brink, but God, God restored their marriage and they hung in there. They didn't quit. And you may be on your second, third, or fourth marriage today. I want to say to you, whatever marriage you're in, stick with it. God will help you. He will guide you. And husbands, you do your part. If you really love your wife and if you demonstrate that, you're patient with her and you compliment her, listen to me, it's going to make her job a whole lot easier. I've never, I've ominously never known of a, a marriage relationship where the husband was just amazing. He just gave his wife tons of compliments. He thought of her sacrificially all the time and every time. He gave her gifts. He was an amazing husband. Helped out around the house and the wife was just mean as a snake and she left him. I, I don't remember ever hearing that before. So as you think about that today, I want to challenge you this morning. Men, which one of these areas can you be stronger in? Give it to God today. To be the husband you can be. That would be the best Mother's Day present you could give your wife. Pray with me. Lord, as we come to you today, we want to say thank you for our moms. They are amazing. Even in the midst of their challenges and their flaws. And I know not everybody here had the best mother. But we thank you for our mothers. They are a part of your design. Father, I pray that you would challenge us as husbands, as men to be sacrificial in our love, to love always and not just some of the time. 
Help us to be patient with our wives, even if we, when we don't understand why they're doing what they do or the way that they're thinking. Help us to accept them and be patient with them. Help us to be uh, generous with the compliments. Help us to lift them up and encourage them because they need encouragement. Father, may we participate in this relationship and in our families more. I thank you for marriage and for the opportunity to serve you through marriage. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you men, especially, to commit? There may be something that I said this morning, you know, that's me, that's me. I struggle here, I struggle with that. I want to challenge you right now to commit. You don't have to raise your hands or come down. I'm just asking you right there where you are between you and your God. Say, God, I commit to be a better husband in this area. Will you be willing to do that? At the very end of the verse, Paul talked about how we are one in Christ. We are all, part of it, are all a part of his body. And your marriage is not independent of God. If it's true marriage, Christ is right in the middle of it. And it may be as husbands, you're not the spiritual leader that you could be, that you want to be. And you might want to pray, Christ, may you be in the midst of my marriage from this day forward. Maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. Or God is calling you to join First Baptist Church. You might want to come down with your family and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. We had a wonderful family in the first service that joined this morning. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to move our membership here. We'd like to join here. It may be you've given your life to Christ, but you've never surrendered to him publicly. And you want to do that today and become a candidate for baptism. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to be baptized. If God is calling you right now, this invitation is for you. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Would you stand? And as everyone stands and everyone prays right now, you come.